right I, and and i've i've i see that every day patients who want to do their own right they don't yeah. come to see me they don't want to manage their blood pressure and then they end up with uh, kidney failure so they end up on dialysis yeah. i've see i see that every day mm -hmm. um and so we see that in medicine we understand what it means in medicine but yet uh, we don't understand what it means in finance right we we can't make that association That just because something costs a ten thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, or two hundred thousand dollars, doesn't all of a sudden make it very cheap or expensive. You have to understand what it is you are getting in return for that cost. Does anybody want to pay me hundred thousand dollars for this iPhone right now? No, not a single hand went up. Right? Yeah. He's like, okay, well, no problem. Nobody wants to buy my iPhone for hundred thousand. Not a problem. Let me tell you what's in there. In this iPhone, I have purchased over $750,000 of sales and marketing courses that I've ever taken in my life. Every single one of them have been ripped through audiobooks and all the best ones are saved inside this one. So you're going to get roughly over $750,000 of the best of the best sales and marketing courses that you can ever find all in this phone. On top of that, you're also going to get my contact list. This person was the CEO of a billion dollar company. He's like, my, my contacts in this list are, you know, I'm not going to mention them right now, but there are other billionaires. If you have a product or service that you are trying to sell and you use my contact list to get their direct numbers and you just tell them that, hey, I know him, you're at least going to get a meeting. And then he goes and lists everything that's actually in the iPhone. By the end of the meeting, that iPhone was sold for $750,000. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Okay, welcome back to How Is My Financial Health Doc podcast. And I am back with my good friend. We haven't spoken to him for such a long time. I don't know what he has been doing. I know what I have been doing, but he's been busy. I've been busy, but we found time to reconnect again today. So welcome back, Mr. Saad Nadim. And if you guys remember, Saad is a good friend of mine, but also a financial planner. So Saad, why don't you... Um, Give us again an updated version of who you are so that the people uh, kind of reminisce. Uh, thanks, Boo, for having me on here. It was a, uh, a wonderful conversation last time, and I think today is going to be awesome as well. Uh, a quick summary of, uh, I guess, who uh, I am and what we do. Uh, we, uh, I, I run RFI Wealth, and really what we're trying to do with our business here is to provide conflict-free advice to Canadians across Canada, specifically professionals and physicians. And really, our whole goal is to, you know, help you connect with the rich, fulfilling life. And everybody's uh, rich, fulfilling life is a bit different. And our goal really is to figure out what it is you are trying to accomplish, what are, what are, what are your goals, what are your values, and uh, helping you align your money with that. Thank you mm -hmm. for that intro. Um, and I really like how, you know, you guided your business and built your business on helping others it's it's not about just making money it's not about investing it's about plan and i see all your tiktok videos i'm so jealous because i wish i could do tiktok <laughs> videos but then again i'm afraid of the chinese spying on me um so that's that's my own little paranoia that i'll keep to myself for now so today we're talking about something because you and i have been talking about this for so long and and at some point let's we had to come up with a podcast about it so the podcast is about value okay about value what is valuable to an to an individual to a group to an organization and when we talk about value of course we have to talk about fees and the cost and so what we want to drive down today is not about just the cost. You know, when I go out and talk to my friends and colleagues, oh, it's too expensive. I don't want to do that. I want to do this thing. Uh, when I speak to my colleagues, especially in the finance world, you always say, well, I'm doing DIY and, you know, the VFV Vanguard is 0.08% uh, MER. I'm like, that's beautiful. That's great. It's the lowest you can find. Absolutely great. But are you just doing DIY? And yes, I am. And I'm like, well, there are some caveats to that. Well, I don't want to do the rest because it costs too much, or I don't want to buy this, it costs too much. 
And then I always say to them, well, do you drive a fancy car, don't you? Yes, I do. I drive an XYZ. I'm like, well, why did you choose to buy that? You could have bought a Kia. Not to say that Kia are bad cars, mm-hmm. but, you know, in relation to that Mercedes or in relation to that Maserati, it's not the same price. So why did you buy that Maserati? What is it about the Maserati that you're willing to pay that much? There has to be value in what you paid. And so we're going to talk a little bit about value today, because I think it's a very, very important financial concept. I mean, you pretty much hit the nail, right? In, in terms of value, right? So when, when somebody says, oh, this is expensive and that's cheap, really what the, it's, it's always a comparison, which is interesting, right? Cheap and expensive is a comparison between what you feel, what you're getting out of that product or service in comparison to what it is you're paying, right? And that's really all it is. You can make something super cheap by increasing the value or something can be super expensive, even though it costs only say $5. Right. So um, that's a thing. And I think people do definitely need to recognize that just because something costs a $10,000 or $100,000 or $200,000 doesn't all of a sudden make it very cheap or expensive. You have to understand what it is you are getting in return for that cost. Uh, right. And it's only then can you make a sound judgment in cheap or expensive. But I think some a lot of people might just say, oh, I don't want to do that. That's so expensive without actually realizing what you're actually getting in return. And that's the downfall, uh, I, I think, of many. I think, I think you hit it on the nail. I haven't hit it <laughs> on the nail until you said it. And what you said to me was, okay, this uh, widget that I bought could cost me 10 bucks. It could cost me at 100 bucks or it cost me a thousand bucks. So one may say it's cheap or one may say it's expensive based on what they get at the end right? So I buy this widget, it gives me something at the end. And if that something at the end is amazing, it's humongous, it's beautiful, it's beneficial, well, 10 bucks is cheap, right? Mm -hmm. But if I bought this widget, and it sits there on my table, and it does nothing, and it just lies there, then 10 bucks is expensive. (laughs) Super expensive, exactly, right? Right. So it's not so much about the fees, it's really about what you get at the end of the product, the solution, the the vehicle, the the car, the whatever that we just purchased. Exactly. But here's the issue, though. Here's a question I have for you, Saad. And this is I kept I keep coming back over and over and over again. I, I think the audience is probably nauseated by me saying this. You don't know what you don't know, and so if you purchase something, or worse, you decide not to purchase something because you did not know of all the benefits it comes from. How can you real, realistically and reliably say that this is expensive or, or cheap if you have no clue of what the beneficial outcome could be? That, that's very true. I, I actually read something recently um, you know, because all of this uh, in the podcast and everything we do is obviously to increase people's wealth, um, you know, t- after tax, uh, increase people's capital, you know, during their lifetime in retirement and such. Uh, but I came across this thing I read recently where it said capital is actually from the Latin word uh, caput. Oh. <laughs> and when it comes to building capital, that's the one thing they don't use. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. It's really interesting how that actually works because you're right, right? People will make a, make a judgment and very smart people will make judgments uh, without actually understanding truly what it is they're saying yes or no to, right? And that's why I, I love this podcast format. And even with our clients, um, I feel like the, edu- the, most, the, more edu- the most educated clients make the best clients. Of right? course. Um, so it's not about you know, buying this or selling that or whatever. It's about, I will educate you. And that's, I think what you're trying to do an amazing job through the podcast is educate people and then let them make rational decisions. Right. Uh, whereas what you're saying is that people who just say, no, 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 I'm not interested because that's too expensive. Now it already tells me that there's like a, you know, a, an ego in front of it, or like, you know, you think you, you know, everything already. So I, I think if you can overcome that, then you'll put yourself in a really good position to actually, uh, accomplish what it is you're trying to accomplish in the most efficient way, right? And, and I think that's key. Uh, absolutely. I think you said it. Here's what I think about people who say no from the get-go. Uh, no, I don't want this fund because it's too expensive. 
no, I don't want this whole life policy because it's too expensive. It, it, it's 30,000, 40,000, whatever it is. No, I don't want this because I'm good. So mm-hmm. I recently went to a trade show, a dental trade show, and I was talking to them about pensions. You know, that's what I do. So I talked to them about pensions and I say, hey, did you know that you could set up your own pension? And the first thing that came out of their mouth without knowing what I was talking about, what kind of pension, what's the structure, they're all like, I'm good. Well, you're good on what? <laughs> you mm-hmm. haven't even heard what the pension <laughs> is. No, I'm yeah. good. Like, yeah. okay, so... That for me stems from a few things. One, I think it's it's a natural defense mechanism, right? Yep. We human beings have a limited amount of time on this earth, and I've yep. got so many things I need to do, and one of them is not to talk to you. Okay? Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah. so if I don't want to talk to you, then I'm good. But but you also have to recognize that uh, you are foregoing a whole bunch of opportunities, right? Yep. I, and I get that. We're all busy. We don't want to listen to every single salesperson that comes in front of our door. Mm-hmm. But you know what? One of these salesperson actually has something that may interest you and benefit you, right? But unless you learn about it and unless you understand, how can you make that judgment from the, from the get-go? So here's my second explanation of why people do that. One, they don't have time. But two, they have a scarcity mindset. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem for me because my whole life have been revolved around trying to educate people, trying to educate my friends, my colleagues, trying to help them understand the pros and cons of everything. And like mm-hmm. you say, once you understand and know the pros and cons of what you're talking about, then make what I call a clinical judgment, make a critical decision, but at least you're making it based on knowledge. Mm-hmm. not on biases. And the biases, I don't have time. Vuketran is trying to sell me something. Saad is trying to steal my money and put his hand into my pocket. Whatever whatever bias you want to say, just say it, but recognize that that's a scarcity mindset because an, a growth mindset would be, fine, I don't want to give you my 10 minutes now, but I'll give you my 10 minutes three days from now when I'm actually, when I actually have time. Mm-hmm. But that 10 minute may be worth a million dollars for me. So now that we talked about my own biases, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about value. Okay, so there's a lot of things we buy in life, you know, not just financial products. We buy a whole bunch of things in life. And a lot one of those things, many of those things are, in my mind, quite expensive. And mm-hmm. one of them is Starbucks coffee. I definitely do not make enough money. I'm a physician <laughs> only. I do not make enough money to buy Starbucks coffee. But, you know, Starbucks is one of those big, big, huge companies in the world. So obviously people drink them. Why is that? Mm-hmm. I'll actually give you my own personal story. I used to just drink regular coffee at home. And then uh, my wife introduced me to an espresso at home. And I told her I don't want it. What is this thing? I'm not buying a machine for $150 that gets my drip coffee. You know, everything is good to go. She's like, you have to just try it. I'm like, okay, fine. I tried it and I'm hooked and I love it. And I'm never going back to drip coffee ever again in my life. Right. So that's like, I guess the initial part of the story. Now that I am used to this Nespresso hitting my head every single morning, at least twice a day. Right. I can no longer uh, drink Tim Hortons coffee. And I used to love Tim Hortons coffee. But now Tim Hortons coffee to me just feels like just hot water. Flavored hot water is what it, what it feels like, right? After I'm using espresso. So for the first time in my life, I'm now actively, if I'm outside, I'm no longer going to Tim Hortons for the first time in my life. I am now going to Starbucks, okay? And the reason I'm going to Starbucks is because if I'm outside, if I'm on the road and I need that hit of my espresso hitting right to my head, and I know that'll wake me up or whatever the case is, spending $2 on Tim Hortons is super expensive because it doesn't get the job done. Exactly. I would rather go spend that friggin' $5.50 on my caramel macchiato, hot, not iced, no whipped cream for $5.50 because that $5.50 hits me right on my head and I know my day is good to go, right? So that I think, and again, that's just my personal story, right? But 
I think that's a really good example of why 550 is cheap and $2 is extremely expensive. Absolutely. I, I think your story actually brings true that definition of value. So another one, another one, iPhones, right? I bought my iPhone a year and a half ago. I believe it was like $1,500. Oh my God, I can't believe I spent $1,500 on a phone. Like that, yep. that to me is ludicrous. Yeah. But I like iPhones. Uh, and this is not a this is not a promotional advertisement yeah. for iPhone. <laughs> and if and if it was, there would be a sponsor right at the beginning of this show, but there wasn't. So trust yeah. me, I'm not being paid by iPhone. I wish I was. But I love I love how the software and and how the things are intuitive. Uh, and my dad uses Apple Android. Uh, so not Apple Android, but uses Android. And I have no yeah. clue how to navigate that. I have no clue yeah. how to navigate that. I don't know how to do that. So, so I, I pay that 1500. Now, when I pay that 1500, imagine with taxes, it comes to about 10,000. Yeah. Um, it, it's very expensive. Yeah. But it's very expensive. Yeah. But I find value in it and I was still yeah. willing to pay for it. So this is another example where it was expensive, but I found value in it. And I think most people say the same. Yep. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. I, I, I read something recently where somebody, uh, bought their uh, mo- most recent uh, iPhone for a thousand dollars, right? Um, it's a it's a bit old story, but uh, he, bu- he bought it for a thousand dollars, and he said that by the end of this uh, meeting, somebody in this room will pay me a hundred thousand dollars for this iPhone. Does anybody want to pay me hundred thousand dollars for this iPhone right now? No, not a single hand went up, right? Yeah. He's like, okay, well, no problem. Nobody wants to buy my iPhone for a hundred thousand. Not a problem. Let me tell you what's in there. In this iPhone, I have purchased over $750,000 of sales and marketing courses that I've ever taken in my life. Every single one of them have been ripped through audiobooks, and all the best ones are saved inside this one. So you're going to get roughly over $750,000 of the best of the best sales and marketing courses that you can ever find, all in this phone. On top of that, you're also going to get my contact list. This person was the CEO of a billion-dollar company. He's like, my, my contacts in this list are, you know, I'm not going to mention them right now, but there are other billionaires. If you have a product or service that you are trying to sell and you use my contact list to get their direct numbers and you just tell them that, hey, I know him, you're at least going to get a meeting. And then he goes and lists everything that's actually in the iPhone. By the end of the meeting, that iPhone was sold for $750,000. Started from 1000 Gave the people the opportunity to pay 100000 ended up selling it for 750 And why? It's the exact same $1,000 iPhone, right? So it's about like, okay, you cannot, if you are a rational thinker, you cannot base the value of anything without knowing what's actually in there. Because imagine he didn't actually explain you everything. Of course. He didn't tell you the course. He didn't everything, right? Then obviously that's that person's fault because like they don't even know what they're talking about. And, and you got to obviously watch out for that. That's like iceberg knowledge, right? Tip of the berg, just learn something and spit it out and hopefully somebody buys. So you, you got to be careful about that. But assuming that that person actually knows what they're talking about and actually can actually help you, right? Then it's your job, I think, as a, as a rational thinker to actually ask them questions to get to know it more. And then if you decide, eh, I don't have a product to sell, I'm not going to be able to use that contact list, I don't really care about these courses. Now, all of a sudden, the value to you might not even be a thousand, right? It might be $500, <laughs> right? But if those things that actually matter to you and the value is there, yeah, it got sold for $750. That's huge. Right. And again, it brings back to the concept that we as human beings made this, make decisions based on very surface information. Yeah. Uh, we don't understand what we don't understand and we don't know what we don't know. But once we t- have taken the time to know, then we can properly evaluate the value of whatever yeah. is being proposed. And at that point, 750000 is cheap. <laughs> Extremely cheap. <laughs> yeah, right? to get that contact list. <laughs> right. Because if, if you were buddies with uh, Elon Musk and you can dial him on your phone, that already is worth a billion dollars. Right? Right. Yeah. So um, There's value. There's value. So let's talk about another one before we go into financial products here. How about cars? I, I mentioned cars earlier. Uh, I drive a Honda Civic. Uh, I am for my family. We drive a Toyota Sienna. Now, I'll be yeah. honest with you. Toyota Siennas have been really expensive nowadays because in 2021, I believe they all went hybrid. 
all of them. Mm, they all yeah. went hybrid. Uh, and I went into the dealer shop and I was asking, hey, I want to lease. I don't want to buy. Uh, everybody knows. I, I hope everybody knows why I lease and I don't buy. Otherwise, yeah. we can come back for another another podcast for that side. So yeah. I lease I lease my Sienna and I went in and said, I want to lease. And they quoted me something like almost $900 a month. And my yeah. jaw dropped. My jaw, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. I used to... I used to um, lease a um, Sienna back then it was only like 500 why is it like almost 900 all of a sudden so I you know talked my way down and eventually got my Sienna for almost 700 but I understand why now so I was driving my Sienna and while everybody was pumping the car every week I was by pumping my car every three weeks and yeah, I'm like, yeah. wow, a two dollar and five cents today, <laughs> pumping yeah. every three weeks is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no cars. Cars is a, definitely a big one, right? Because I just I just bought a new car too. So, um, same idea. Something cheaper was available, but then I'm like, for an extra hundred and twenty dollars, I can get this. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do this, right? Um, and and that's all it is. It's always just some sort of comparison, right? Uh, in terms of what you're actually paying and what you're actually going to get. Like, you know, so like the, uh, uh, being a financial planner, um, you know, my wife knows, she's like, no, you should go get yourself something nice. I'm like, I can't do it. Like, you know, and my, it's ingrained in me not to do, make like, you know, bad financial decisions. But I was like, no, not a problem. I'm going to go to Honda and see how much an Accord costs, right? Yeah. Like Accord should be good, like a nice sedan and stuff. And um, they quoted me, I think something around like, 550 or something same idea at least right yeah. so yeah don't finance and lease it uh and then get a write-off so um so yeah i went for leasing it 550 but then i went for like the uh, 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 i saw a new like the new genesis uh, model oh, beautiful absolutely beautiful drop dead gorgeous right and they quoted me 670 120 bucks i'm like for 120 dollars more you're telling me i can have a top of the line luxury model so whereas the the honda guy was all about price we're the cheapest we're the cheapest we're the cheapest the genesis guy was like don't worry about the price let me tell you what i can do and then i drove it and this and that and i ended up spending expected because again the value right it, it was there i'm like oh for 120 dollars more i can get all of this all of a sudden that 120 dollars cheaper became so expensive I'm like, why would I spend all this for an Accord when I can spend just a bit more and get this, right? Um, and that's kind of like how it was justified, at least in that, you know, in my mind. Um, but I'm happy with it, right? Like now I love it. I, I would highly, uh, you know, tell advise other people to <laughs> look at it too, because the value just makes sense for the price that you're paying in terms of the value you receive. It's, it's awesome. Right. And it's always what you receive for that price. That's important. By the way, yep. If, if Genesis, anybody working at Genesis hears this podcast, please call me. I need sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. So now that we understand, I hope people understand you know, everyday life value. So let's go into this different things that people have been complaining about yep. over the years about this is too expensive. No, uh, yep. I don't want to do this because I want to do it on my own because it's cheap and I want to do this on my own. Okay. Yep. So. I'm going to name four things. There's obviously more things in the finance industry, but I'm going to name four of them. I'm going to start with finance advisor fees. Okay. So a lot of we hear, you know, this is the whole DIY wave, right? Everybody wants yep. to do it on their own. You know, they're mechanics, but they didn't want to do it on their own. They're doctors, but they want to do it on their own. They're yep. dentists, but they want to do it on their own because everybody thinks they're brilliant. So yep. they don't want to pay advisors. So advisor fees are too expensive. So that's the yep. first thing. The second thing is, well, I know I need to I need to do a will, so I'm going to go to Walmart and get that guy at Walmart to do my will. Or worse, I'm going to go online and fill out one of those autofill wills that I can do online and pay like a hundred bucks yep. instead of going to get a a, a lawyer. Yeah, right. It's like uh, it's like Vuket Tran trying to operate on his own appendix. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sure. Let's go do that because it costs nothing for Vu to cut his belly open in front in the in the, in his uh, living room. So people do that. Uh, the other thing is whole life insurance, where you hear it all the time. It's too expensive, whole life insurance. Why, why buy whole life when, when I can buy term? 
uh, you're wasting your money, the advisor's making too much money, they're scamming you, right? Those are the, the third thing. And the fourth thing, something that most people are not aware of is SegFund. And, uh, and you had a TikTok on that, and I replied to that. And that's what started this podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about those four things. Let's start with the advisor fees. Uh, yeah, I mean, and advisor fees, um, and again, right, it's subjective, right? So in every field, as uh, every, I guess, listener could probably attest to, you know, there are good physicians and bad physicians, you know, that there are good dentists and bad dentists, and there's some average dentists, and you can tell the guys from who are just doing this for their paycheck, you know, who just come in to just see their patients or their clients, just as another thing, and the ones that are really into it. Right. And you can really see this from like teachers. Right. There's a lot of YouTube videos and stuff of teachers who who genuinely enjoy teaching and other teachers who it was their backup plan. Their life didn't work out, became teachers and just collecting the salary and pension. Right. So there's this exists in everywhere. And now when it comes to advisor fees, I think it's really up to you to do your due diligence to realize that, okay, what is it that I am looking for? Who can actually help me? And can the person that I'm dealing with in terms of providing me with financial advice or planning or whatever, are they knowledgeable enough and educated enough to actually help me through my different stages of life, right? And it's the exact same question. So I would, uh, I would venture a guess, if somebody has no experience with dealing with physicians, they don't know how MPCs work or medical profession corporations, they don't know how taxation works for corporations, they don't know how estate planning will be, uh, how, how will you take your money and transfer it to your kids? How will you take your money and pay yourself out as tax efficiently as possible? Is it possible to set up a pension? Is it possible to actually give this money tax-free over to your kids? You know, so you can literally go on and on and on, right? So if somebody actually doesn't know any of these things and you're paying them, I would guess, 0.1%, it is way too expensive, right? Because they don't know how to actually help you. So now if the advisor fee is 0.1, I'm sorry, boo, I, you know, it's too much. However, if they know what they're doing and they can actually help you with all of this, maybe you actually want to even pay them more like 2% or 3% or something, right? Because it's actually worth it, right? So I think that's what it comes down to advisory fee. So I think many people who are really just, oh, you know, why, why would you want to pay an advisor? I think maybe you were just dealing with a bank advisor who really couldn't care less about your situation. They're going to get their paycheck no matter what. Or if you were dealing with somebody else, they obviously didn't know how to actually help you. So either way, there was a lack of value. So to say that all advisory fees are a waste of money, highly false, right? But also to say that all advisory fees are worth it, again, you know, highly false. So you, I think, have to do know what it is you're looking for and then actually connect with somebody who can actually provide that value. Yeah. And, and I'll add to that. <clears throat> so you say all advisory fees are too expensive or all advisory fees are too cheap. Well, obviously the answer is it's never an absolute, right? That's the yep. first thing. And the second thing is, if you didn't even know what an advisor could do for you, how can you judge whether it's too expensive or too cheap? Yeah. I'll give you an example. So you gave an example of a potentially bad advisor, but I'm going to give you the other example, which is the bad consumer, right? Yeah. So the bad consumer is, you know, Vuket Tran, um, you know, he's top of his class, uh, I type A personality, right? Became a doctor. Uh, knows what he's doing, saves lives every day, right? And uh, he he now says he, he needs to invest. And so Vuketran goes into DIY and uh, buys a VFV and buy a QQQ and, and buy, you know, all sort of index funds thinking that, you know, he'll ride the market like everybody. But then again, Vuketran is, uh, I don't know, he has two houses, uh, he has a practice, uh, is incorporated, you know, second marriage, uh, five kids, blended family, uh, owns a cottage, and now um, has to, uh, you know, sell his business to his, you know, colleague, whatever, right? That gets complicated. Yeah, right? I didn't, I didn't tell you about a Vuketran 26 years old, who just started practicing, uh, mm -hmm. and just making a bit of dollar and investing in VFV. That's not what I'm yeah. describing. Yeah. I'm describing you a Vuketran that has all this package and baggage behind him that yeah. comes with a whole bunch of financial implications. 
Mm-hmm. And so if Vuketran thinks that he can operate on his own appendicitis, uh, well, you know, Vuketran will make a lot of financial mistakes. And unfortunately, he will not know until 30 years down the road. If, if Vuketran didn't know that an advisor can help him solve all these very complex financial questions that <laughs> Vuketran may not even be aware he has, yep. uh, then, then, you know, even if you paid uh, 1% or even if you paid 1.5%, it's still worth a lot of dollars because Vuketran may potentially lose $2 million. And, and that's the key part, right? So sure, the consumer has to always, you know, put up their end of the bargain as well to make sure that, you know, you're because there has to be some sort of a maturity level where you are ready to say, knowing what personality type you are, right? And letting your ego down and saying that, hey, this is something that I actually don't know. Right. And being okay with the fact that you don't know. Right. But it comes with this ego, like, no, I'm a I'm a doctor. I do this. I save lives. Of course I should know how much how my money works. Of course I should know any of these things. Right. But you're telling me that you keep up with taxation and how every new elected official will bring about new policy changes and how different strategies may not be applicable to you anymore that were put in practice like maybe 10 years ago or newer strategies that are available to you today. Right. This is a full-time job to take care of your money. Um, you can't possibly expect that, you know, uh, advisory fees are, are, that, are, are, are too high or whatever, because I'm just going to take care of everything. You're definitely going to be losing pieces there. I'm going to take a minute here, Saad, to interject here. I think a lot of my colleagues know that I am the president of the Canadian Physicians Pension Plan. So it's a brand new pension plan dedicated to Canada-wide physicians, and it's the first and only plan of its kind in Canada, which I launched in December 2021. So here's why I want to interject, because this pension plan, in my mind, is the greatest pension plan that exists because no other solutions are like ours in the marketplace. It is very unique. And in fact, if you want to hear more about it, you can contact me individually on uh, on the side and I can tell you more. But from a tax perspective, it offers seven more tax benefit than the uh, RRSP. So I tell people that in their lifetime, they're most likely going to be saving somewhere between two to three million dollars with this plan. And during the entire lifespan of the MPC, they're most likely going to benefit from lots of loss of tax savings through their MPC. And when we talk about investments, everybody seems to be focused on the fees, even though I tell them that the fees are institutional pricing, not retail pricing. So what do I mean? If I were to go as Vuketran to any uh, financial institution, name it uh, Scotia McLeod, uh, TD Trust, uh, CIBC Woodgundy, Edward Jones, any of these companies, and I walk in, I say, hey, I've got, you know, 500000 to invest. The retail price for that right now is somewhere between one5 to 2%. But if you're part of a pension plan and, and you're part of a collective, on first dollar, I tell them that you're going to get institutional pricing closer to 05 to 06 and everybody seems to be so focused on the 0.5 and 0.6, even though it's three times less than what they get on the retail side. But they seem to forget that they are benefiting from seven tax benefits in comparison to the RRSP, which is 98% of the population. So what I'm trying to do is move 98% of us in RRSP to the vast majority of them being in a pension plan. Because we all know and we see it with the teacher's pension plan, we see it with OMERS, we see it with HOOP, that a pension plan is a much more powerful vehicle than the RSP. But it always surprises me and it always I'm always dumbfounded. And even um, physicians who have spouses who are in the finance industry, who are advisors, who are accountants, and they keep asking me about the fees, even though it's a third of the retail price, and they're always focused on fees, except that the power of the pension plan is much more 
So there's much more value in the pension plan than just the fees, but everybody seems to be focused on the fees and cannot see the value. When you tell someone that the fees is 0.5 to 0.6, but they may save two to three million in their lifetime, and in addition to that, save millions during their working life inside the corporation, they're still focused on the fees, and I still can't understand that. And that's why we have to do this podcast on value, because we need to stop thinking about fees and cost only. We need to think about value. And it's very similar to, you know, let's say somebody who has blood pressure issues, right? So, so let's give you like a medical example. If you come across as somebody who has blood pressure issue and um, you you catch it early on, it can just be change your diet a bit, walk, go for a walk or a run, and you know keep these things under control and you'll be okay. But if you, you know, this person, ah, I'm just gonna DIY this. I don't need to go see my doctor. Why would I go see my doctor? You know, I'm just gonna DIY this myself and I'm gonna pray to God and I'll be okay. Right. And then you kind of do that. And then 10 years later, things get really bad. And now you have to do a surgery or like, you know, take some drastic measures to change. And even then it might not be enough and you're probably going to pass away. Right. right? And, and I've, I've, I see that every day. Patients who want to do their own. Right. They don't yeah. come and see me. They don't want to manage their blood pressure. And then they end up with uh, kidney failure. So they end up on dialysis. Yeah. I've see, I see that every day. Mm -hmm. um, and so we see that in medicine. We understand what it means in medicine, but yet uh, we don't understand what it means in finance, right? We, we can't make that association. Here's one thing, like, obviously, like this is, again, this is just my personal bias, like, but I do this quite often and I see myself doing this quite often. So I think it might actually even help your listeners as well. When I was going to see that car, right? I'll give you back that car example. Yep. When I went to go see that car, what did they, what did it tell you? Oh, it has it has this, it has that, it has horsepower and all of these good things, right? I like cars, but I have absolutely no knowledge about cars. If you told me it has this piston and that cylinder and it does this, I'm like, okay, great. That's amazing. But it can get me from A to Z, right? Like, you know, it can do that. So one way that I have found that it really helps me is that I tell them as a consumer, I told that guy who was selling me that car at Genesis, I told him like, hey, listen, I know you're telling me all of these things and it's great and it sounds awesome, but let me tell you one thing. I know absolutely nothing about uh, cars. Can you please treat me like I'm a 10 year old child? Okay. If a 10 year old child will not get what a cylinder and a piston mean, then don't tell me, just tell me in very simple English. If you do that for me, I will be able to make a rational decision and see if I actually want to purchase your car. Okay. And that has allowed me, and I do that everywhere now, right? I did, that's not just the car. If any time I'm making a major decision, I just tell them like, hey, as a consumer, like, hey, I don't understand this. Please just, just break it down for me. And just dumb it down for me. But that, what that allows me to do is I want to make sure that if there's an actual opportunity here, I don't miss out on it. Because there's no way you were going to show me a, a brand new luxury 2022 off the lot car for $120 more for the, from a Honda. And I was going to slip on that, right? There was no way that was going to happen. But I want to make sure that you give me everything I need to know to make that educated decision, right? So that might be a way that viewers can actually try something like that. And, and I encourage that too. Trust me, I encourage all my uh, colleagues to do that. But here's a problem. Vuketran has an ego. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Vuketran will not allow Vuketran to say that. And I yep. think this is important that we in the uh, medical community and healthcare community has to say to ourselves, I may be a brilliant brain surgeon. I may be a brilliant emergency doctor. I may be a brilliant cardiologist, but when it comes to finance, dumb it down for me. Yep. Right. And we have to be able to say that to ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and unfortunately we don't, we don't yeah. because, because, you know, it, we're just not trained that way, but to see, to see the value in something is to be able to say, I don't understand, yep. explain it to me so that I understand. And then I'll make a clinical decision. I'll make an educated decision and I may not end up buying your product, which is fine, and, which yep. is fine. But I yep. at least need to know the word you used. I yep. need to know I am not missing out on an opportunity. Right. Yep. That's that's the point.
So yep. let's move to wills. Yep. <laughs> okay, that's mm-hmm. easy. That's easy, right? Uh, yeah. What What has been your experience with your clients when it regards to wills? Don't do it. People with uh, you know quite a bit of money try to do a DIY will and thinking it's okay, right? Um, the will is 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 a is an extremely important piece to generational wealth planning in Canada, right? Uh, it's not just the fact that if you die, she gets the money, she dies, I get the money, we both die, our kids get the money. It's more about if I die, this money might go into a trust to, for the protection of my children. And then if my spouse remarries, I want to make sure the money actually stays in that family, but she should be able to use the money while, you know, she's still alive because, you know, I still lived a long life with her. But after she passes away, the money should go tax efficiently over to the kids and then they'll be able to use it like this. You know, you can actually do all of that in a will, right? And that's the point of the will. So to say that you're going to be able to DIY this, where it's not going to be uh, challenged in court from somebody you maybe left out in the will unknowingly right? It's just crazy. Like, you know, if you have any sort of reasonable wealth, you should be taking, you know, advice from uh, m- many people. There's actually a quote that I, I remember. It was like, if um, um, only, the, only the most wisest of the people take advice. Think about that. <laughs> right? It's like you would think the most wisest person makes their own decision, but it's like only the wisest of the people take uh, take advice because they understand that they actually don't know anything, right? And if, this is back to, I think, a podcast we've probably done in the past. Like the more you learn, the more you realize it's that Dunning-Kruger model, right? Like right. Where, where the more you re- learn, you're like, oh man, I don't know anything. And I think that's the key. Like I know, you know, we're all type A personalities, right? Like, you know, if you're a business owner, you're a physician, you're a dentist, you know, you're type A. But I think that's where you have to work on yourself, I think, if, if, if anything, in terms of like, hey, you know what, I understand what I don't know. I'm going to ask questions. And if at the end of it, it's not for me, great. At least now, next time somebody asks me, like, hey, why do you do this? At least I'm going to be able to say a proper reasoning for why I chose not to work with that person or buy that product or buy that service, rather than say, ah, it's too expensive. That just tells me you don't know. Well, you know what, what you just described there is a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> believe it or not, it's growth mindset. So here's my story about growth mindset. So my son, uh, when he was like six years old, seven years old, was doing yep. grade one, you know, he comes back and says, dad, what is a growth mindset? Yeah. And I'm like, and he's learning about growth mindset, you know, in first yeah. grade. And I'm from Quebec, you know, in Quebec, we, we barely learn what math is. Okay. So anyways, <laughs> enough of Quebec. <laughs> So in, I'm like, what is growth mindset? I had to Google it up in Wikipedia, everything. And I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm, I'm happy that my son in grade one, grade two is learning about growth mindset. Yeah. And, and ever since that time, I'm trying. I'm like, it's, it's not easy. I trust me, Sad. I'm yeah. trying to adopt a growth mindset. Yeah. But, but and, it's and not easy to do. It's not. It's not at all. It's taken years, right? And when you actually understand growth mindset, that things are not scarce at all. There's actually more than enough for all of us in this world, if not more. And if there's not enough, they'll just print more of it and print more money and then you'll have more of it, right? Um, and, and you're right. And, and that's what I said, right? I think it's more of a, an exercise you actually also have to do on your, on, on your own, right? To better yourself that like, I can clearly see when I meet people that are not in the right mindset to actually work with me. Because then I just tell them right away, hey, like, I don't think this is going to be a good fit. I'm going to waste all this time and my energy to actually help you do something. And then you're going to go and do something on your own anyway. Why bother? So it doesn't work that way. So, and at the other, other side, I've met extremely successful people who from day one say like, hey, Saad, I'm so sorry, but I don't know. Can you just please just tell me how it works? And as soon as somebody asks me that, now I'm like, okay, you're actually actively listening how to make your situation better. And now at the end of the day, if it doesn't work for you, not a problem. At least I know I educated you and I did my job. So it's it's about the openness to learn, right? The openness to learn. You know, people say you will find your teacher once your mind is open to learn. Yep, the student, uh, the teacher appears when the student is ready. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I butchered that quote again. Yeah, <laughs> it's an old <laughs> Chinese, uh, Chinese adverb. Yeah. So let's talk yeah. about the third one, which is uh, whole life insurance. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time on this side. So yep. I just want to I just want a little snippet of your opinion on this because whole life insurance is a very polarizing topic 
in the healthcare community, and I'm and I'm sure in the finance industry. And so there's going to be some lovers, there's going to be some haters, and everybody thinks they're right. It's very polarizing, like the topic of abortion. So we're not going to go through there too long. So just a little bit of, you know, what what are your thoughts on the value of whole life insurance? You need to know what you, you need to know what you're getting out of it, and you need to know why you're doing it. It's the exact same thing, I think, just over, over and over again, right? Like, of course, you can just go get a term policy for 100 bucks a month and do that. But is that all you're trying to do? And then you're saying that, okay, if I die in the next 10, 15 years, if you think whole life is too expensive, contact me for a complimentary call, and I will prove it to you by numbers how cheap it is. Not an opinion. I don't care about opinion. Okay, so we have an opinion you just said, right? Okay, oh, it's too expensive, it's too cheap? No. By numbers, if you actually see the numbers, what it actually does for you, right? How it actually gives you tax-free income, how it actually allows you to buy rental properties, how it can actually transfer money over to your kids, how it can actually be generational wealth planning. By the time you're actually done with the numbers, you'll actually want to give me more money. That actually happened this morning. Some guy came in, I met somebody, and he's like, he actually literally came in to specifically buy a whole life policy from me. And I told him no. I'm like, why would I just do this for you? I don't understand. He's like, well, I don't know. I just, I know I need a million dollars for my two daughters. I need a, I need a million dollars on a whole life policy. And I told him, okay, well, um, let's not do that. Do you mind if I just take the next 10, 15, 20 minutes to just get to know you a bit before you just tell me you just want to buy this? So we went through that whole exercise, went through the whole exercise. I told him, give me a week. I'll think about it, see what's applicable to him. I ran his numbers came back to him a week later. So this was a second meeting that I had with him this morning. And even in this meeting, I told him, I don't know what you're looking for. I don't think a whole life actually makes sense for you. Then spent another 45 minutes with him, understanding what his situation was. And when he told me like, hey, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm thinking of. I'm 50 years old right now. I want to be able to retire. I want to be able to do all these things. It's only then that I find out, okay, I finally know what it is he's trying to do with his life. Now that I know what he's doing with his life, I, I, I totally understand it. At the end of it, he came in for a $1 million policy, which was going to cost maybe like $20,000 a year. He's probably going to end up doing about $100,000 a year. So again, it's not about what you are paying. It's about what, of course, if I told you to, if it was the exact apple to apple comparison about term and like, hey, if you die, your kids will get the money. And all of a sudden, why would I pay the exact same policy like 10 times more or something when it's the exact same end result? If that's what it is, 100% you should buy term. Absolutely. And that's why, in the, and that's why for the first two uh, meetings and a half, I told him, I don't think you should do this. I think you should just 100% go buy the term because that's all he told me he wanted. Because I guess maybe even for him in the early on, he was like defensive. He only told me what I really needed to know, mm-hmm. right? What he thought I really needed to know, right? And then I kept coming back and told him like, buddy, listen, you don't need a whole life. If this is all you're trying to do, just do a term policy and it'll be so much cheaper, right? But that's when he actually started telling me like, hey, no, no, I want to do this. I'm thinking of doing this and blah, blah, blah. I want to be able to retire. And then I'm like, oh, if these are all the things you want to do, then that's too expensive. Why would you do a term? Right. It's like coming back to your example of the Starbucks coffee and the Tim Hortons. Even though the Tim Hortons costs much less, it's really not what you are looking for. So the $2 that you pay for Tim Hortons is really too expensive because it really doesn't meet your goals. Right. So it's all value. Like, you know, if, you, if you're not getting, if you're getting the same end result, find a cheaper solution. But if the end results are different, it's your job as a consumer to find out why that end result is different. And does it actually better your situation or worsen it? If you're comparing apples to apples, go to the cheaper one. Yes. But if you're comparing apples to mango, then you have to understand why the mango costs more. The last thing that we want to talk about, and we're going to just talk about one minute about, because you had a TikTok video, is seg funds. So tell me, because seg funds have higher MERs, okay? But there are reasons why seg funds are important for certain people and certain population. What, what are those? Uh, yeah, I mean, SEC funds obviously have a high MER because there's uh, so much more things attached to that investment rather than just the investment piece. So if you're buying an investment, if you're buying, sorry, if you're buying a SEC fund uh, just for the purpose of growing your money, uh, it's probably too expensive to do it that way. 
right? But if you're in the phase of your life where you're maybe thinking of transitioning, transitioning some of your wealth over to your kids or your grandkids, or, uh, and you're thinking of estate planning, all of a sudden, the fees that you're actually paying on the seg fund become very cheap because you're like, oh, snap, I can actually transfer money from me over to my kids without ever being exposed to creditors upon my death or even while I'm alive or being exposed to any sort of estate taxes because, you know, seg funds kind of get rid of all of that. There's no probate fees on top, right? So yes, the fees are higher, but you have to know what the end goal is. So if the end goal is to do estate planning, transfer money, tax, tax efficiently, of course, I'm going to pay that a bit higher fee. It's not even like it's so much that it's like big things ridiculous. It's not even that high. They're just, everything's become cheaper now, obviously, because of technology. But yes, comparatively, it is a bit cheaper. But what do you get in return for that? And again, you can run the numbers, right? That's why I said, by numbers, we can prove you everything. Everybody has an opinion. You think this is wrong or this is right. And I think this is right or wrong. But let's just run the numbers. You know, sad, I say this all the time. In God, we trust everybody else brings data. This is how much fee you would pay on a side fund for the next, say, 10, 15 years. And let's assume you're going to die after 15 years. This is how much fee you're going to pay. We can do the numbers. Here's how much tax you're going to save when you die, you know, from you over to your kids and how much probate fees you're going to save and how this is going to be structured. And if something, if you get sued or something, you know how they're not going to get access to this money, right? Now you put a dollar value to that. Okay, this is how much I paid in fee and this is what I'm going to get out of it. You'll probably want to do more, right? You'll probably think you're getting away with it for too cheap. (laughs) Exactly. Plus the SEC fund in my mind is a very secured, high yield fixed income product. If you think about it, the reason why I say it's a fixed income product, even though it's not, is because you can reset, right? You can reset and you have capital protection, which I think for, for people who are in their later years in life, capital protection is humongously uh, important. And so, so you're paying a, you're paying a little bit for that, but when you ask people, how much is it worth to preserve capital? It's priceless, right? Yep. So we're not going to dive into SegFund, but those are the four things that I thought at the top of my head, what are a little bit more expensive than most things, but absolutely worth it when you know exactly what you're looking for and what are the purposes of it. And unfortunately, if you don't know, you don't know, and you you will think that it's too expensive. But once you know, exactly. then you can say, well, actually, that's not that expensive. It's actually quite cheap. And so the same thing as your Starbucks coffee, right? Paying five fifty is really cheap when you can actually get what you want to get, and it doesn't come from a Tim Hortons coffee. Thank you very much for listening this far, and if you've enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends and your colleagues. And you can always reach me and send me comments at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice. 